0: And this is going to be a special episode. Welcome once again to the Bakari Seller's Podcast. Today, we got none other than the brother Jonathan Conyers joining us. Man, what's going on? Peace, my brother. How are you?
1: I'm doing good today, my brother. How you doing? Man, it looks like you in a gaming console. You game? game? (laughs) I don't, uh, but my nephew and all of them do. So I'm using one of their chairs. So they, they like to take over my man cave too much. So the
0: chair looks nice. I like it. <laughs> right. show. So we start each one of our sh- shows by having our guests walk us through the arc of their careers and yours spans your career in medicine. You're an author and you're a civic leader. So you do a whole hell of a lot. <laughs> but first, talk about your various career stops since finishing Stony Brook. And second, talk a bit about how You got into the various things that you do because I have a lot of younger listeners who want to have a vocation and an avocation and you successfully established both
1: yes um so when i graduated stony brook Uni- university i uh was a registered respiratory therapist um so respiratory therapists we pretty much run ventilators so anybody who cannot breathe or who needs to be intubated or somebody is severely wound the first thing we always say is if you cannot breathe you cannot do anything so a lot of doctors nurses they rely heavily on my profession um to make sure patients can breathe so they can do their job um We have gained a lot of recognition due to COVID-19. When people say the forefront, there was nobody more on the forefront than us. We were the guys who had the tube all the COVID patients. We were the uh, individuals who had to run the ventilators to give them one breath to keep fighting with this horrible respiratory disease that affected our nation. Um, So I was able to do that Uh, when my story went viral a couple of, well, about a year ago, my nonprofit, the Brooklyn Debate League, really took off. Um, so the Brooklyn Debate League, which I also do, is that's we give speech and debate to communities of need. Um, a lot of time in a speech debate world, there's a lot of gatekeepers and there's a lot of people who charge s- numerous fees for kids to go and talk about politics, talk about gun control, talk about. Um, a lot of issues, nuclear weapons and things that are affecting their community that is affecting our world. And one of the things I noticed is like, you know, when you go for a football team, you go for a basketball team, typically your high school compensates a lot of that. But for some reason, within the speech and debate world, our future lawyer, our future judges, hmm. there's 30,000 for you to perform at an invitation or at these Ivy Leagues yep. just so kids can talk and have a conversation. So my nonprofit wanted to bridge that gap and give kids, all kids, the opportunity to be able to speak their mind, live in their truth, and have a voice. Um, and also now I'm an author (laughs) my memoir comes out uh, September 5th I wasn't supposed to be here which talks a little bit about my journey and how I ended up where I am now and a lot of things that I had to go to growing up um, in the Bronx Mm. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's
0: Thomas's presents Technique with
2: Tom Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade boulder dash Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor for each one is unique like a snowflake (laughs) Thomas's, huzzah, a toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by 7-Eleven. What if I told you you could get a big snack almost anywhere for less than five bucks? Let's talk 7-Eleven's $3 big meal deal with seven rewards. Big meal deal is a big bite hot dog and a large big gulp drink. And you won't find a better snack deal anywhere else. Here's what I put on my hot dog. Mustard. And that's it. That's it. I love a hot dog with mustard. Maybe if the chili, if I'm feeling it, if I'm feeling crazy, maybe a little chili, maybe a little nacho cheese, but I'm a hot dog and mustard guy. But if that sounds like your kind of bite, visit 7-Eleven, valid through one 7 7-Eleven has the right to end this promotion early, plus tax applicable on large, big gulp only, Participating in U.S. stores only, see app for full terms, all rights reserved.
0: Let's talk about that for a brief moment. We'll get to the book in a second. But uh, I wanted to talk to you about folks who got to know you through Humans of New York. Can you talk about Humans of New York and how that opportunity came about? And what is it for people who are living under a rock, apparently, who don't know (laughs) what that is and what's done for the exposure of the work that you do?
1: it's so crazy now because I, I talk to a lot of people and you know, they, Oh, I see you got a book coming out and I say, yeah, I was on Humans in New York. And there's a lot of people that I lived under a rock where I thought everybody in the world knew what humans in New York is, but as I'm traveling and I'm going to conferences, you know, there is people who are still learning what it is, but once you learn what it is, you can't uh, go away from it. Uh, a good friend of mine named Brandon Staten uh, created Humans of New York, which is a social media platform that gives stories about the unique people of New York. Um, it's not it's mostly not celebrities. it's people that may be walking through the park. people who to Brandon Staten who may look interested. Um, interesting. Um, for me, it was a little different. Uh, me and Brandon were friends before my story came out and uh, we worked on previous projects together. Um, and then, uh, and when I say previous project, I'm not, I don't mean like I'm an employee of humans in New York or it's his platform. He does everything for it. But, um, there were people I introduced him to that he thought were unique that he wanted to do a story on. And we developed a great relationship due to that. And one day, uh, he thought it would be interesting to do a story on me. And I talked to him about my coach who I admired, who I thought was an amazing individual who helped transform my life. Um, Dico and he was like, this is it. I really love this story. Um, teachers are being undervalued. They're not respected. So I mm-hmm. love the idea of a kid going through what you're going through and having this coach who helped you get through that. And one of the other beautiful parts about it is me and my coach came from two different worlds. Uh, my coach was transgender, um, was white, <laughs> Catholic, uh, didn't really understand the community I was going through and what I was going through growing up in the Bronx and going to high school in Harlem. So Brandon thought it was a great story. We talked about it for months and then he did it. And overnight, uh, my nonprofit raised $1.3 million. And um, it was a life-changing moment for me. And for over a million people to resonate with my story in 12 paragraphs, there was a lot of book companies that thought, what if we gave you 300 pages to really tell your entire story, to give people not just 2% of it, what if we gave them the other 98% of all the amazing things and all the hard things you had to go through, so um, and
0: writing a book is damn hard. Let's hop into oh, it. Oh man, let's talk hard. about your book. I wasn't <laughs> supposed to be here. First, the title, unpack it
1: for us. Yeah. So, um, just straight off the back, I'm just going to be honest and raw. That's the only thing I know how to do. Um, my, I was my mother's fifth child. Um, both of my parents were addicted to crack cocaine. My mm-hmm. mother was very bad into her addiction when she found out she was pregnant with me. She was four months. Um, so she immediately went to get an abortion. Um, I was saved because of a hernia. My mother had a hernia that she didn't take care of uh, that was affected. Um, and that was a part due to her addiction and just not her keeping up with her health. So no hospital wanted to perform the operation. And so she was stuck to have me. So I always say her fifth and unwanted child. Um, and I ended up being born in Chesapeake, Virginia, due to them having a, a huge debt. Um, and their life being on the line. And then I end up coming back to the Bronx and there's a whole little complicated story of how I get here. And throughout the whole book, every chapter is this idea of that I wasn't supposed to be somewhere. Like I wasn't supposed to be thrown in the Bronx and have to walk through a metal detector every day in school um, after living down south for some time. Uh, I wasn't supposed to be a teenage dad. Um, When I was a junior in high school, I found out I was gonna be a father. Um, You know, I wasn't supposed to go to high school in Harlem to go to Frederick Douglass Academy. After being involved with gangs and having some issues where I felt like being in Harlem would have jeopardized my life, um, that was a tough process for me. Um, I wasn't supposed to excel in college. Um, almost graduating valedictorian and having a medicine major and, and accomplishing some of the things I accomplished in college, having billboards and being the face of the entire university because of my story and my background was a beautiful thing. Um, you know, so my whole book is this idea of what I wasn't supposed to be and how throughout my life, because of my skin color, because of the zip code I was born into, because of what the world told me who I was and what I was going to be because of the choices I made. It was like, how do I get to that, to being on the front lines of COVID at the number one hospital in the country? How am I doing research and presentations in Singapore about how to help our nation um and how to save us for so many diseases that are affecting our youth and affecting us as a society and how do i go to now being an author and help run a, a million dollar nonprofit? so um uh, it's, it's all these ideas of this mindset especially as black young men that we don't supposed to be in these settings or that we're, we're not enough to now going through that it showed me that i'm resilient it shows me that i was supposed to go through these challenges so, but, but let me answer this question for me, I get me why, why
0: did you why did you write it though T- tell me the why why did
1: you write it the and why? who did you write it for that's a great question and it's a a loaded one um i wrote it you know you got time i wrote it for everyone and i'm gonna be honest i wrote and it's so funny somebody asked me that yesterday and it was like no you have to have a target audience john is it it for black men is it for teachers is it for kids who grew up with parents with, with drug addiction and i say no it's for everybody and i really mean that and let me unpack it so right a lot of my life especially as a black man you're taught. Whatever happens in the household stays in the household. Don't tell your secrets. Keep everything bottled in. Um, And I stuck to that model for a while. And it took me finally saying, hey, I need help. It took me leaning on people, white teachers, Hispanic teachers, people who I said, hey, this is not a black male role model. How are they going to teach me how to be a black man in society? It took me getting a little bit uncomfortable and leaning on my village members, which I call them. To help me through a lot of things I had to go through. You know, there's a story, too, that I always tell in the book it's about this homeless man who taught me how to tie a tie. Right. And I credit him and I give him a lot of respect. I'm, I only knew this man for two minutes. I remember walking my first day of high school and I'm struggling to tie a tie and the guy snatched the tie from me. And at first I'm like, oh, no, this we about to have a problem. Here. It was homeless homeless man touching me for. And he told me how to tie a tie, rips it off my neck and shows me again. Right. I've never seen that man in my life again. I don't know what he's doing, but to me, he's a part of my village. I tie ties a lot now, Um, you know, and I teach people that, you know, just kindness, being good to somebody, helping somebody, lending a hand. Doesn't mean you have to sacrifice your time. Doesn't mean that you have to give up everything you're doing or stop your goals to be a part of somebody's village. So a lot of my book and a lot of the themes is that we have to do a better job of supporting people. We have to do a better job of reaching out and asking for support, um, whether people look like you or not. Uh, When I grew up as a black man, I'm going to be very honest. There's a lot of stigmas within certain communities of what it is to be trans or what it is to be gay. And growing up with a lot of strong male figures in in the Bronx and the projects, a lot of those things were seen as, no, that's unacceptable when I grew up. That's not cool. That's not what we do. Um, And I always think the fact that I had so much love for my coach who fed me who showed me what a college looked like, who took me out of situations before I even knew what their identity was or what their pronoun was. And when they made that transition, my heart always led with love. I could care less what the pronoun was. I could care less of trans. I just knew I loved this person. And if they were happy in their skin, I was happy for them. So a lot of the book is all these life lessons about being able to ask for help. You know, I talk about my parents being addicted. Yes, my mother had a lot of issues. She went through a lot. My mother never missed a parent-teacher conference. My mother sat and read with me when they wanted to put me in special ed. So yes, there's a lot of pain and hurt in those chapters and those pages. But I hope you see the beauty of a mother who's just trying to figure out who was hurt by the system, who won the Apollo. But because of her stage fright, her addiction got the best of her. So it's a lot of beauty in the book about overcoming, about being a village members, about the importance of teachers who's going through so much, who don't realize, yes, they're underpaid, they're understaffed. But I hope they know that their work and their careness is why people like me are sitting in this shit having a conversation with a man like you. Um, so, you know, people going through addiction, people who need to know how I went to some of the worst public funded schools in New York City, but every summer I went to Phillips Academy, Andover, which is the number one boarding school in the world. How do you survive in all these different spaces? How do you go to college with a kid? You know, being a teenage dad. So, my book talks on a lot of layers, it's a memoir, it's my story. But it talks on a lot of of layers, and I think it fits for anybody who just needs to hear the story of redemption and what it takes to overcome a lot of pain and trauma.
0: That was a loaded question. Let me ask you another one now. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've gotten while you've been on your book tour and talking to people about your book, but what did you learn about yourself while you were writing this book?
1: I learned a lot about myself. I learned that I wasn't healed. Um, I learned I had a lot of work to do. Um, I thought I was comfortable. And when the people came with offer me, hey, let's do a book. I'm like, let's do it. There's nothing I can't face. I'm strong. I'm a man. I, I dealt with it. And so many times I broke down doing those chapters. So many times I realized I buried so many things deep down inside, which is, you know, they say the brain, your mind, and your soul. A lot of times if you have been through a lot of trauma? You forget things. And I forgot a lot of things and I kept it buried there. And writing the book, I had to unpack those things. I had to go therapy which was something that was also I grew up with that we don't do. I had to talk to somebody. I had to say, why me? We talk about therapy all the time on this show. Shout out Dr. Garcia. Dr. Garcia, shout out. Maybe I need to, need a referral. <laughs> Still looking for the one that I want to hone into. Um, but you know, to understand that I wasn't healing, that was okay. That it was okay to be weak some days. It was okay to cry some days um, and not let the stereotypes that I'm telling people in my book to not let consume you that I realized in writing that, that I was still letting it consume me. So I had to look in the mirror a lot. I had to, I had to wake up and realize that, you know, that pain is tough. And I had to really, really understand by the end of me writing the book that I truly, truly was supposed to be where I am. And that all of that pain and trauma still made me better, but it took a lot of work.
2: This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment. So it's important to take care of them. I once got When to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade, boulder dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. (laughs) Thomas's, huzzah, a toast to breakfast.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I don't think that we truly understand the value of therapy enough. And I'm glad that, you know, writing a memoir, I wrote one, it was therapeutic or cathartic. I always confuse those two words, don't know what the (laughs) difference between them is. But let me there's one question I want to ask you before I let you go. And, I you know, I'll ask you the most important questions at the end. But I did write one question that I honed in on because... Uh, when i get a chance on this show i I talk about black fatherhood and you're a father and i can tell from the book how much being a father early in your life shaped you as you go about the work that you do but can you talk a little bit about this aspect um um of your life in particular and how you treat it in the book
1: yeah um and i'm gonna kind of answer the other question too uh, about that too one of the tough one of the toughest things for me was writing that chapter Um, and a lot of times, you know, when you get an opportunity to write a memoir, right, you could paint yourself and write the book in a way that shapes you as the most beautiful person ever as superhero. I'm on the front lines. I was there for my nation, you know, and I took the opportunity to be real raw and really let the world into my life because I think that was going to help the most people. And right in chapter seven and how many times I wrote, hey, I didn't want this child because I was thinking as my 16 and 17 year old self, I don't want this responsibility. What I'm going to do with this child was one of the toughest things ever for me. And I really had to talk to my therapist, I had to talk to my my wife and say, like, what is my daughter going to see when she read this, when she's of age? How is she going to feel? And so many people said she's not going to feel nothing because you also talk about how she saved you. The proof is in the pudding, the way you take care of her, the way you cherish her. You know, I Like
0: the the crazy thing is when you have a son, you'll be like, I'll I'll die for him. And when you have a daughter, you'll be like, I'll
1: kill for her. Daughters change you into murderers overnight. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) it is very true. Um, And I always say this the first time I've seen her. That's the last time I've ever sold drugs. Um, It's the last time I think I, I missed a day to seize my opportunity and to be great and be the best person I could be. Um, it was the last time I started making excuses for myself. It was the last time where I thought something was beneath me. Um, she changed me. And when I seen her, you know, I always ask people, you know, I always, well, not ask, people, I always tell people, I wish I can get college job back. You know, just watching her, knowing I couldn't give her what she need, being scrammed in that one bedroom apartment, studying every day. There was nobody who could stop me. There was nobody to stop me. There was a lot of days where I just didn't love myself. I was just like I just can't yeah. keep going.
0: I mean, I it's, I mean, trust me. No matter when they yeah. see all the glitz and glamour and all that other shit, people don't know what you really go through. That many yeah. days, but you don't even really want to be with yourself. So, it's look, like, let me ask you the most important question, Jonathan. Um, where, when, how can people buy the book, and how can they follow you on social media?
1: Yes, So on Instagram, Twitter, you can follow me at I am John Conyers. So I A M J O N. C-O-N-Y-E-R-S. I am John Conyers. Um, You can find me on Facebook and Twitter. Facebook is just Jonathan Conyers, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N. Conyers is C-O-N-Y-E-R-S. The books are sold pretty much anywhere books are sold. I wasn't supposed to be here. You can go to Amazon, Bookshop, your local independent bookstores. Uh, You can also go to my website, www.IWasntSupposedToBeHere.com, where you can purchase the book through the website. Um, And that's how you can follow me, support me. Um, And I pray that this book changes you and uh, allows you to self-reflect on things that you want to do to be great. Look,
0: I mean, this is a dope book. I wasn't supposed to be here. Jonathan Conyers, a dope individual. Y'all go out and support him. Read it, read it twice and then give it to a young person that you love. Jonathan. Yes. Thank you so much for joining the Bucari Sellers podcast, my brother.
1: Appreciate you, man. Thank you for having
0: me.